To support this podcast, go to positivesarcasm.com slash donate. Any amount is appreciated. Once again, positivesarcasm.com slash donate. Thank you and enjoy the program. Almost like it never existed, but it fucking did. So do me a favor. Go f*** yourself. Donate, donate, any amounts appreciated. Of course, the Weeble app is always appreciated. Hit that up in the affiliate link description down below. You'll get free stocks when you sign up using your, uh, you fund your account. No strings attached. I'll get free stocks, of course, by you signing up as well. Uh, get that savings account going. You owe it to yourself to save it for your future. But that's another way of supporting this platform. Questions, concerns, comments. You can hit me up on Instagram at positive underscore sarcasm. You can hit me up directly through my website, positivesarcasm.com. Or you can email me directly, positivesarcasm at outlook.com. Especially if you're a fitness competitor, you're getting ready for a show, and you need your posing music cut for you, I'm happy to help. Positivesarcasm at outlook.com. Subject, posing music. Hitting up the variety shops this weekend or the vintage stores or whatever you want to call them. You got to make sure that when you hit the vintage shops, don't don't even waste your time. The ones that are marked up like like they're like it's like a, a an antique home goods, don't waste your time. Honestly, if it's like a little side table and it's marked up like and it's like 90 bucks, you're good. You can go find that same goddamn side table at the Salvation Army for 2.99, <laughs> honestly. So don't waste your time. The second you walk in and you see those high prices, get the fuck out because it's uh, it's a waste of your time. It really is. There's a lot of vintage variety throwback stores, secondhand stores that have amazing pieces of furniture, and they don't um, they don't refurb them really. They don't quality. I mean, it's just like, is it good? Is it broken? Okay, cool. Throw it on the thing. Throw a price tag on it. Let's get it out of here. Let's move some furniture, people. Let's go. And um, it's an awesome way for you to make uh, make a beautiful, uh, you know, get beautiful furniture, beautiful clothes, beautiful uh, signs and other accoutrements and whatever, and you don't have to spend a shit ton of money, you know, and you can still feel like you're being a consumer without, you know, having to rip your credit card out and go into several thousand dollars in debt. Uh, one of the th- cool things I did get this weekend, there, I, I don't know if you guys know about the older Star Treks, um, the first six movies. First of all, amazing, you know, and I was able to this. I have another poster, an old Sean Connery movie poster uh, about a movie he did in the 80s about basically like World War Three. And I found this. This was my this is my favorite Star Trek of all time. And this is the original movie poster. It has like the actual cinema number on it. And I got to be careful opening this damn thing. But it is Star Trek Two. The Wrath of Khan. This poster is gigantic. Uh, let me see if I can hold it up for you guys watching. This is like the original movie poster from 1982. At the end of the universe lies the beginning of vengeance. Pretty cool. So Ricardo Montalban's in it. Um, it's about a Genesis project about creating planets out of basically dead, dead orbiting stars or dead moons. And it's just... An awesome, awesome, awesome movie. Um, just an awesome movie. The, the cast in it is fantastic. Obviously, the original cast from the original Star Trek. And then, um, 
you know, Ricardo Montalban, uh, who returns as playing Khan. He played Khan once in one episode before, and now he's back, and he's incredibly pissed off. But an amazing find. I'm so happy to have this poster, and I cannot wait to basically take all these really cool posters that I want and frame them and have them in, like, the final version of the Spare Parts Studio um, that I am of course, diligently piecing together with spare parts and free shit from wherever it happens to land. A um, couple other things that I've uh, found. So we did t- talk about... Um, we sometimes talk about stocks and investing and shit like that, even though I'm not like you know, a licensed professional. And then again, whatever. Uh, but we can still talk about it. You know, don't take you don't have to take my advice, but we still chat about it. And we still talk about investment strategies of things you can do, you know. Am I, am I an active participant in the stock market? Absolutely. As a retirement fund investment, as an investor, and as a swing trading and uh, long-term dividend investment portfolio person. Yeah, absolutely. You know, down payments aren't going to fucking magically appear out of nowhere. So I found this cool – another cool thing I found in this cool book, uh, investment uh, Inside Information. talks about fitness, car, travel, co- collection, collecting, retirement, success, education, money, health. Uh, by the editors and experts of Bottom Line Personnel. This was a $6 book. This is a $6 book I found in one of the vintage stores. And on page 21, it talks about investment strategies. And I actually just want to read this to you because it's an interesting thing that for you to take into account. Because when it comes to the stock market, the stock market could be emotional, but you shouldn't be. So... This talks about investment strategies. It simply says stock market winners and losers. Investor Investment brokers lore. They can tell you whether a new client will be a winner or a loser within the first few minutes. Investors mistake, forgetting that the broker is essentially a salesperson working for a commission. Often a loser makes more money for, a bro- for the broker. Don't rely on a broker for financial and money management advice. Classic losing syndrome. An investor loses money in the stock market and swears never to get involved again. Then, after resisting the early publicity about the latest investment fad, the investor moves back into the market just before prices collapse. Worse, investors who buy a glamour issue on margin after after a substantial and fast advance, they get hit the hardest during the inevitable correction. Investment advisory services and systems and inside information don't help much either. Facts. Advisory services services establish a reputation after making a few good investment predictions or good calls on a specific kind of stock, but they have to keep making predictions and soon end up with losses. Technical analysis is as subject to chance as is dart throwing. Only 65 to 70% of insider trades insider trades work out for insiders investors usually overestimate the impact of the insider news quote on the stock's price or they miscalculate the effect wall street analysts are too slow by the time their buy sell recommendations make the rounds all the action has been taken the sound way to become a winner keep your neurosis under control while you will never escape fears and doubts don't allow your emotions to override your judgment Initiate your own investment decisions. Don't let someone talk you into buying or selling. The average investor doesn't need to talk to his broker more than once a month. Do your homework before entering the stock market. Most winners educate themselves and manage their own money. Read books and financial papers. Take basic 
investment courses. Learn paper, uh, learn investment jargon so that you can't be intimidated. Break away from fear, greed, guilt cycle and pro that produces losers when the belief that gains are made by magic and fantasy. Learn to deal with reality. Think about taxes as well as investment. Tax consequences are an important part of success. Picking stocks. If the fundamentals of the company sound good and are high quality, and if the price slash earnings ratio is under 10, buy at the low end of the stock trading's range for the past two years. Divide savings into four investment categories. Ready, to, ready cash to meet emergencies. Two, income to help maintain your standard of living. Three, growth to make capital grow and at least keep pace with inflation. And four, mad money to speculate on the long shot. Distribute investments appropriately if there's enough capital. Very sound advice, very simple advice. Tells you don't be emotionally freaking out whenever the market has a correction. Don't believe the hype. It's This is a very, very cool book. Once again, inside information. So another thing about the stock market, you have to know, like, in case you haven't been wondering today, there's a little... There's a little um, there's a little cockfight going on in uh, Israel right now, where there's you know there's casualties, there's bombings, there's hostage situations. It's a complete mess, and obviously the uh, the media is making a big out, out to be a very very big deal. How did it affect the stock market per se? Well, before the actual trading took place, it looked like it was going to be like a 10% correction. Or a 10% markup on the shorts. After about an hour or so, it was business as usual. Business as usual. There was basically market, even though it was a technical bank holiday, stocks were up. The market was up. I mean, I was pretty, ha I was pretty happy. But at the end of the day, the market doesn't move because, because a couple countries get into a shit fit with one another this is this war is as old as time itself and it be, right now as of right now it's the usual bullshit it's two-dimensional it's not fear interfering with anybody's with anybody's uh money transfers if anything it's only making people who are uh you know invested in the war more money but at the end of the day it's two-dimensional nothing's truly being interrupted as of yet so this is why the market's just going to be like, oh, 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 all the coast is clear? Okay, let's keep making money, ladies and gentlemen, because there's bigger fish to fry out there. And how quickly everybody suddenly forgets about the Ukraine war, the minute that the Israeli war. You know, it's funny. It's like, um, how many flags are you going to put on the front of your house at this point? You're going to put a rainbow flag, a transgender flag, a Ukraine flag, a Palestine flag, free Palestine, this, you know, Black Lives Matter flag. Are you the front of the UN? How many fucking flags do you need in front of your house? Quite honestly. You could try, I mean, one flag? How about no flags? How about you just take your virtue signaling bullshit and bring it inside? You know? Or, I mean, how much does it cost for one of these flags? Like I said, you could be taking that money and building yourself a nice little savings account. All that virtue signaling could be actually making some real money. You know? Do you want to send your kids to college? Why don't you take those flags and stick them up your ass or just don't buy them to begin with and maybe you can make yourself some uh, – you can start a savings account for your kids. So by the time they're out of diapers, you might actually have a little something for them to uh, for when they graduate high school, you know. So, you know, tuitions and, you know, uh, you know, first month's rent, you know, that's 
not cheap, you know, and um, if you start early, they might thank you for it later. Hey, we were actually thinking about you instead of trying to virtue signal for ourselves when you first came out of the womb, and uh, we decided, here, here's your first month's, here's your tuition. Um, we saved up for you over the past 15 years instead of going off on these bullshit, uh, you know, tangents and trying to support these causes that are actually buying um, people mansions out in California, and we decided to save the money just for you. Here you go, little Timmy. Um, good luck in life. You know, and we've talked about saving up for your kids and how they can start saving literally by the age of 10 um, and have basically like, you know, a part-time gig by the time they're like 30 or 40 years old and really enjoy life. There's, we've, you know, in this past podcasts, I've talked about simple ways to, you know, start saving early. And, um, you know, like I said, at the end of the day, this war is not going to make any bit of difference as far as people's ability to make money and to trade in the stock market. It didn't, barely phased it. So got to keep that in mind this shouldn't it shouldn't scare you you'll know when it's supposed to scare you uh so that being said i'm gonna go ahead and focus on something else Mm. the fact that i had a very good weekend the fact that i got some really cool stuff um and also the fact that my nephew who's also the uh associate producer of this show how am i gonna get the where am i gonna put this book put this book uh put it right over here Anyways, that was a bit loud. Sorry about that. Um, oh, here we go. So, uh, another segment on the show. Um, the <clears throat> so we did some. Apparently, some digging was done, and a few bottles uh, were found unopened. And a bottle of Seagram Seven is about eight ninety nine. No, no big deal. No big deal. Bottom of the barrel. Blended whiskey, you know, really nothing crazy, right? But it is pretty cool when you have a bottle of whiskey that's from 1957. An actual bottle of whiskey from 1957. So that's 43 plus 20. It's This is... 43 plus 20 is 60, 63, so 66-year-old bottle of whiskey. It's pretty cool, and it's really, it's it's an amazing shape. Like, the, you know, the wrapper is in good shape, the cap's still on, unopened. It's got the barcode 272-13055, U.S. Internal Revenue Distilled Spirits. Four-fifths quart. Um, this is a anniversary bottle because they were distil- started distilling in 1857. And this one says, world's leading American whiskey, 100 years of craftsmanship in every bottle, 1857 to 1957. Uh, American blended wh- uh, whiskey, 86 proof. The straight whiskeys in this product are four years of old, 35% straight whiskeys, 65% grain neutral spirits, 25% straight whiskeys, four years old. 6% straight whiskeys, five years old. 4% straight whiskeys, six years old. And it's a pretty cool bottle. It's got a little bit of age on it on the front label here. Uh, blended and bottled by Joseph E. Seagram's and Son Incorporated, Lawrenceburg, Indiana. I think it's cool. I, I, did, I do think there was also a bottle of J&B, but um, I gave that to... J&B is a scotch, uh, an English scotch, but I gave that to a... 
Uh, I gave it to my, my, my brother-in-law, so I thought that was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, that's it's pretty cool. I mean, for you guys watching, that's a bottle. That's a 66-year-old bottle of American whiskey. Pretty freaking sweet. Um, now, as far as like how aging works, obviously when a when a bottle is a, when a booze is aged, wine's different. Wine can, is a different animal. We're just gonna talk about like alcohol in general, like you know whiskey or scotch or something. Generally, it's the it's determined by how long it's been in the barrel or the cask or whatever, and that determines the actual age that you see on there. Six, eight, twelve, you know, eighteen, twenty-four, all that stuff. Um, now there is a question about does it continue to age while it's in the bottle? Like they take it out after six years, it's blended with these other whiskeys, and then it's stuck in this bottle. Does it continue to age? Well, courtesy of scotchwhiskey.com, there is an Ask a Professional. And it's a very interesting article that I wanted to read to you about what happens in a whiskey bottle that's unopened over time. Um, where's the article here? Is this it? Article monitor. So, keeping hold of a unique bottle of whiskey to mark a special occasion, it may not necessarily taste the same in 20 years as the day you bought it, thanks to a phenomenon known as, quote, the old bottle effect. The whiskey professor explains why. <clears throat> Dear professor, at a recent whiskey tasting, I heard people talking about OBE. I initially believed that they were discussing Dennis Malcolm's career. I, I don't know what that's must be some insider smart people joke, but it transpired that they were referring to something called the old bottle effect. I was under the impression that whiskey didn't change in an unopened bottle. Am I wrong? Thanks, Sarah from Montreal. Um, Time effect. OBE gives Scotch whiskey tropical fruit and peach notes with a smooth, waxy mouthfeel, says the whiskey professor. Dear Sarah, the official line is that whiskey does not change in the bottle as long as that bottle remains unopened. But many collectors will argue that the opposite is the case. What the disagreement comes to comes down to is whether oxygen will affect the liquid in the bottle. While it is wrong to say that the whiskey behaves in the same way as wine, the principles behind the two are the same. If a cork is used to seal a wine bottle, some slow oxidation of the wine will still take place. If that is uncontrolled, the cork is loose, for example, then too much air will come into contact with the wine, turning it brown and increasingly nutty. Eventually, it will even turn to vinegar. On the other hand, the gentle slow oxidation given by cork can produce desirable effects in many red wines, Bordeaux, Burgundy, Barolo, etc., and some whites, Burgundy, Sartournes, etc. I'm not a big wine person. I have a lot of wine, but I don't, like, it's all unopened. I don't drink that much. Um, the reaction takes place in the headspace between the liquid and the cork, and it is, rap and is the most rapid soon after the wine has been bottled, then slowing as that air is used up and continuing at a relaxed pace as the tiny amounts filter through. The effect in wine will see a decrease in fresh fruitiness, ester levels, but an upping of vanilla and coconut, a change in the nature of lactones, and some nuttiness, also seen as toastiness in white wines. The wines will also will be less astringent as phenol, phenol fault levels fall and tannins polyamorize, polymerize, changing the mouthfeel. In red wines, the color will start to fade slightly, picking up slight brown hints if the aging period is extended. Synthetic corks, corks, excuse me, synthetic corks actually increase the amount of air entering the wine. 
If, however, a screw cap is used to seal the bottle, the opposite reaction takes place. In these cases, the ingress of oxygen is more effectively stopped. This keeps the wine fresh, which is desirable for lighter, often non-oaked aged. White wines or lighter reds where the impact of fresh fruit is wanted. Here, the lack of oxidation sees ester levels increase, upping fruitiness and some floral elements. The lack of air can also be work can work to the the lack of air can also work to the detriment of the wine, increasing sulfur compounds. While the color will be fixed, there's some evidence that the polymerization of tannin still continues. You could expect that the same takes place in whiskey, depending on what type of closure is used, either oxidation with cork or the reductive effect given by screw caps. And this, I can from what I can tell, it looks like a screw cap, but... Um, because I know that Seagram 7 uses a screw cap generally. Um, I know on Seagram's VO, they use a cork. But Seagram's VO is a Canadian whiskey. But they generally did um, share a lot of similarities as far as how they were made. Anyways, let's continue. Um, you could take... Okay. The lack of air can also work for the detriment of the wine, increasing sulfur to the water, blah, blah, blah. You could expect the same place takes, in, takes place in whiskey, depending upon what type of closure it is, either oxidation with a cork or the reductive effect given by screw caps. There's an important difference between wine and whiskey. The higher levels of ethanol in the latter whiskey. This will absorb the oxygen, reducing oxidative effects and slowing the process further. Looking out at how OBE is described, tropical fruit peachiness, smooth mouthfeel, low tannin, waxiness, integrated smoke would suggest that OBE is more driven by a reductive effect rather than oxidation. There is another issue, however. The difficulty of clearly separating what might have happened within the bottle and what changes occurred in distillation during the period the whiskey has been in the bottle. Think of the possible variations which could have happened at a distillery over decades. Peat may have been used in the past, barley varieties have changed, while wort clarity may have also altered if a traditional mash tone was replaced with a laudering system. These are words I'm not freaking familiar with. Don't know what that is. Then there have been changes in yeast strains and possibly fermentation regimes. Um, like, I mean, in this bottle, this Seagram 7 bottle from 1957, um, the yeast and the barley or the yeast and the whatever the the grains that were used in this bottle of seagrams are very very different than the ones that exist today or a few years ago different chemicals and different strains and different growing methods very very different so um Direct fire may have been replaced by steam coils and worm and worm tubs by condensers. Then there are the cask types used. The quality of the wood and the conditioning of the casks, such as the use of Paxaret. Just one of these changes could affect an individual distillery character. This would be multiplied when you start to consider blends. Hmm. Which is which Seagram 7 is. Because we are not dealing with a liquid, which has been made in an identical fashion for decades, it is impossible to say whether the OBE effect is driven by aging in the bottle, changes in distillation, or a combination of the two. The only way to test this would, to be, would be to take a whiskey being bottled today, analyze its production methods, 
run a gas chromatography and sensory analysis and then leave it for 20 years in an unopened bottle to see where the changes might occur. So the conclusion, something happens, but it happens slowly. What it is precisely, we are still not sure. Maybe time will tell. Simple that. Um, so what I've outlined here is different to the question. Does a whiskey go off in the bottle or can light and temperature affect flavor over time? Which are possible topics for future discussion if anyone is interested? Okay, so that is the OBE effect. But then there is, does whiskey age in the bottle? And how do, so how does the aging process work? It occurs while the spirit is maturing in the oak cask. Scotch whiskey must mature for two to three years in order for it to be classified as a scotch. American bourbon must be aged for two about two years before charred oak barrels. Um, whether a three-year-old whiskey spends a year or 30 years on a shelf without being opened, is it is still a three-year-old whiskey. I'll say that again. Whether a three-year-old expression expends a year or 30 years on a shelf without being opened, it is still a three-year-old whiskey. This is because the taste profile of a whiskey shouldn't change if it remains unopened. A whiskey draws its flavor from the wood that matures in. The longer the whiskey spends in the cask, the more flavor it will impart from the wood. The temperature that the cask is kept in impacts the flavor imparted from the wood. Interaction between the whiskey and the wood makes up the entire aging process. As soon as the whiskey is filled in a bottle, the aging process immediately ends there. Yeah, okay. So basically the whiskey is in that barrel. It's getting in, it's pulling stuff from the, the cask itself or going into the cask and something to that effect. It's like, but once it's in the glass, once it's in this glass, According to her, according to, I mean, I'll, I'll, I mean, over the years, but Francis Wilson, once it's in this glass, that's the end of it. This bottle is, this whiskey is no longer um, pulling the deep flavors from the wood or the fruit or the burn or whatever else happens to be in that cask. That's pretty much the end of it. Now, according to the original article, that doesn't necessarily mean that the whiskey has stopped aging in some way but your seagram 7 bottle that is basically six-year-old whiskey that's been blended is not going to make it's not going to be aged to the degree that a 12 or 18 year old or uh, you know a much longer aged uh american whiskey and if the flavors will be completely different the flavor uh, levels would be completely different <clears throat> so but it's not to say that this isn't cool though it's not to say that this isn't cool i mean the fact that this bottle still exists after almost 70 years is pretty sweet and is it probably worth something i don't know maybe 50 60 dollars you know compared to the 8.99 that you see it on the shelf for but it's still cool and it would still be interesting to like have this bottle, keep it in a proper temperature environment, and then go buy a bottle of Seagram 7 today and for like a super huge occasion, break them both open and see what they taste like. And that would be that'd be a little cool thing. Um, I mean, as a matter of fact, I will have that, that bottle of J&B uh, available to me later this week and 
I don't really drink that much anymore. Um, I have all these bottles that are completely unopened. And I'm just curious. I can have a taste of that and see what it, you know. I would One's not going to hurt. So I actually don't mind uh, giving that a go and seeing what all the fuss is about. Because I've had 12-year-old scotch. I've had 18-year-old scotch. I know what they taste like. I know what I'm in for. I've had Macallans. I know what I'm in for. So I'm curious to see what an old bottle of uh, an old bottle of scotch tastes like. So it's cool. You know, I like the I like the old stuff. There's, you know, what it has character. I'm a character. This has character. You know, that's pretty cool. I'm glad it's in one piece. I'm going to do my best not to break it. Anyways, uh, we are at 27 minutes. By the way, if you want to support this podcast, you want to go to positivesarcasm.com slash donate. Any amounts appreciated. Uh, like, subscribe, and share if you'd like. Um, available specifically, the video portion, portion is on Rumble. Rumble.com, Positive Sarcasm. Starting to get a couple of views on there. Don't know why. Um, also, I did that last week. I did um, a lot an on-location podcast basically from the from the ocean, from uh, from Rye Beach. And um, I'm going to try to do that more than just once. Let me put it that way. I liked the idea that I did it. I liked how I executed it. Uh, you know, there was obviously some, hic- obviously some hiccups. The production value on it was pretty simple. It just required a laptop, a camera, and a microphone. And I would like to keep it that simple. I don't want to, like, overproduce it. Um, I'd like to make it a, a little more cleaned up. Uh, but... Just to give you the idea of how you can make something that do something that simple, and I just enjoyed it. It was it was nice. It felt good, and it was early in the day, where my brain was thinking differently. So my brain is tired right now. I'm tired. I'm drinking coffee. I'm muddling through my thoughts. It's a lot going on, you know. And I'm I'm in this I'm in this studio that I'm used to and thinking a certain way, but when you're out there, it's different. You're not researching shit. You're not, you know, distracted by the elements around you. You're just, you're there, and the sun's rising, and your hair's a little fucked up, and you're just enjoying the environment, and that is the what is actually fueling. Information is not what's fueling your episode, but the environment and the feeling of not having really any much food in your system, a little bit the morning coffee um that that feeling is what drives the episode and it's it's a cool it's something cool that this this channel and this and i need and need to pursue a little more my brother-in-law to actually talked me into this in a way he talked about it a while ago how i need to get a camp like a little camper and go out on these little adventures and do this thing and i got what he was saying I understood it. I didn't want to spend the money on a camper and all this other bullshit. But his point his point was 100% accurate. That you need to go out and do these things um, for whatever reason, but just to go fucking do them. And I, li- I like it. And to go and do these environments with... I mean, don't get me wrong. I like the studio environment. The studio environment is great. It's You come in, you sit in the studio, and you're... If you have a really good studio, like it doesn't have to be like a sound studio, but it's like a studio that's like relaxed and chill and you got all your stuff around you and your chair's comfortable and you got good coffee and drink. 
and then you're focused on what you're doing. But when you're out in the environment in like a mobile studio and you're just opening up your laptop and setting it down and getting to work, especially in the morning, the air is different. The air is much different. The feeling is much different. So I need to I need to bring that I need to bring that to this studio a little bit more. I need to bring that into this fold. I, I enjoyed it and I encourage you guys to try something like that as well. Uh, it even allowed me to like, you know, start writing a little bit more. I actually just finished the final draft or the rough final draft of an article um, that I'm working on called uh, Word Soup. It's about 550 characters, um, and it's it's very news headliney, mainstream, like bam, 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 bam. So I look forward to to uh, offering that to you folks. Um, hopefully within the next few weeks. Hmm. Anywho, I do want to finish off with some dig Q&A, dig.com Q&A, because I haven't done that in a while. Um, questions, concerns, comments, hit me up on my website, positivesarcasm.com. And, of course, you want to subscribe to this podcast uh, on video portion of it, exclusively on Rumble, rumble.com. Um, and then, of course, the audio version of this podcast, anywhere podcasts are available. I, you know, Apple iTunes, Google Play Music. That's is that even available? Well, Stitcher and Google Play Music, I think, are gone. So you know, Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Podcast Addict, all those. So go ahead and check me out there. Let's get to some Dig.com Q and A. Uh, article monitor. Let's do it. <sighs> Here's my situation. In the last year of college, I met the most beautiful and intelligent girl I've ever known. Fast forward two busy years. Uh, fast forward two very busy years deciding where to live, buying a house, getting married, and landing two incredibly high-paying jobs in our career field. We are now living the dream. We settled down in my wife's hometown and often see her parents on Sunday for dinner. Six months ago, we were at her parents' home for Sunday dinner as usual. While we were eating, her father's phone kept her father's phone beeped with a particular sound indicating a message. Because I'm a very secretly closeted bisexual man with a very limited experience with men, I recognized the beep from a particular gay hookup site I used a few times before meeting my wife. A few days later, I saw her father at the hardware store. He invited me to go to a small coffee house to talk. Turns out he's a very secretly closeted gay man and he and my mother-in-law married very young due to a pregnancy and he didn't know himself very well sexually yet he stays in the closet plays it straight because he loves his family and career and wants to keep all of it for himself and for them the following weekend i went up to my father-in-law's cabin with him alone not unusual but this time we made love we both knew this might happen and neither of us tried to stop it we spent the weekend together and had the best time connecting while both feeling incredibly guilty about it. The new aspect of our relationship has continued for the last six months, and fortunately, nobody suspects anything, but it's wearing me down. <laughs> I'll say. I know I can't have my cake and eat it too, um, but I don't know how to quit him, as Jack Twist would say. Also, it doesn't help that he's a very handsome, fit, and muscular man in his early 40s. He never lost his college athlete physique. Please advise on how to stop this relationship. Ooh. Um, Jesus Christ. How to stop it? Well, if you want to... Mm, 
<laughs> How the f- What do you do? What do you do? What do you do? You're- I mean- Look. Alright, so what- What is this, all in all? Alright. You have two men who are married. You have two people who are in mar- or in marital relationships seeing each other. So, um, this is, first of all, black and white. This is cheating. Okay? That's what this is. This is sexual affairs outside of the relationship. So, this is extramarital affairs, 100%. So, there's that. Um, is it considered incestual? I don't, I don't know. What are the rules here about how that works? I mean, obviously nobody's getting pregnant, uh, despite what you, you know, might read at your local college. Nobody's getting pregnant here. Do you say anything? Do you, or do you stop? Do you keep going? You're going to get, here's the thing. If you continue, you're going to get caught. Okay. If you continue to go, you're going to get caught. That is the one thing. He's been doing this for a while. That's the issue. He's been doing this for a while. You, um, let's see. I'm a very secretly closeted bisexual man with very limited experience. So you haven't been doing it like he has. You're very limited by closeted. You keep it to yourself. He, well, actually, no. You recognize the beep from a particular gay hookup site I used a few times before meeting my wife. Okay, sure, before meeting your wife. All right, well, okay. So we'll take your word for it. So well, how long have you been? Fast forward to very – met the most – here's my – in the last year of college, I met the most beautiful, intelligent girl I've ever known. Okay, and two years later. Okay, so – all right, so that site was probably still about – out and about while – okay, so a couple of years later. Yeah, okay. All right, that 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 – that that clicks. That works. So you you're married. Um, do you have any kids? Buying a house, getting married, landing in high-paying jobs. Okay. Um, what do you want to do? Like, you met the most beautiful and intelligent girl I've ever you've ever known. So you're bisexual, or are you? I mean, there's a lot of people say if you're bisexual, you're just gay. But the most beautiful girl you've ever known? Okay. So, in that case, if you want to continue being married to your wife, it, look, if you want to be continued married to your married to your wife, she can't, look, if she finds out that you've been banging her dad, this is all over. Okay? That's the sim. I will repeat this just so you get this straight. You are a married man. If your wife finds out that you've been banging her dad, this is all over. Okay? She will treat you like a very straight man the minute she finds out that you've been gaying it up with old daddy-o and will take you for everything that you're worth. If you want to stay married to your wife and you love your wife and you want to cherish your wife, she can't find out about this. She can't. I can tell you what happens. Honey, I love you. I made a mistake. I was banging a dude. The dude was your dad. <clears throat> Not going to work. She'll find out. She'll freak out. And she'll want out. 
her dad, well, if he can keep his mouth shut, <laughs> oh, well, has to, I mean, obviously he has to stop. I don't know if he's going to. Um, but obviously he's got his own things that he needs to deal with, and that's his problem. You just need to stop what you're doing. If you want, if you just say you can't do this anymore and you want to be out and you want to be flaky, you know, you, you want to be gay and stuff like that, go, great, okay, fine, go ahead. Stop, you know, stop being, you got to stop being married though. You got to stop being married and you got to try this new life out. That's your thing. But you're going to lose what you have. No way, no, no way, shape or form. You tell her and you want to move forward, you're going to lose it. You tell her, you don't want to move forward, you're going to lose it. Whatever, doesn't matter. You can't say anything. I'm sorry. That's that's the truth. I know the you know the the the, the you know the uh, the moral powers that be would say uh, you need to tell her you're gonna but you're gonna literally destroy the foundation of what you've built. And this is her dad. You understand that? This is. I saw her father at the hardware store. That's her father. You boned or got boned by her father. I mean, <laughs> what? I mean, he, <laughs> 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 just, you can't. I'm sorry, you can't. You can't say anything. Keep your fucking mouth shut. Stay married. If you want to be gay, go be gay. Get a divorce and go cock it up. That's it. I can't. Make it any more simple than that. The father, he's got his own problems. I've seen some weird weddings, by the way. I've talked about them before. We'll move on. I got one more, and then I'm pretty much fried. I didn't know that one was going to be that, like, all over the place. I had a dream the other day that my assistant was about to resign. For the next few days, every time I talked to her, I halfway held my breath knowing that the next thing she was going to say to me was goodbye. And yet it wasn't. She did ask to speak to me about several sensitive matters. They all turned out to be various business dealings that we were handling until she wanted to talk about something else. Ooh. A week after having that premonition, my assistant told me that she had a bittersweet she had bittersweet news. I knew it was next next. She had in fact found a new job. She handled sharing the news with me well, and of course I wasn't surprised it's so weird. I really did know that I really did know before she said a word. People have called me clairvoyant. You're not clairvoyant. I know I don't know about that, but I do know that my assistant and I are in alignment and I knew that I was this was going to happen. Because we work so well together, I'm wondering if I should try to get her to stay. What do I do with this uncanny, uncanny awareness that I have? Um you can, well, talk to her. Be like, why are you? Well, why are you leaving? Okay. If you knew this was going to happen, maybe you should have sat her down and been like, listen, you know, is, you know, blah blah blah. Is there anything that we can do to make your experience more? Or maybe she's chasing her dream, and if she doesn't want to stay, you'd be like, cool. As far as your clairvoyant shit, let's throw that away. That's forget it. Shut up about that. I don't want to hear about it. Can be be clairvoyant. I don't know, but we're not talking about that. That let's stay. To, let's stick with the task. The task at hand here. Your assistant is leaving, and you may be thinking about wanting her to stay. Well, if they did a good good job, and you think it would be useful to keep her around, is she worth the value that you could possibly offer her to make her stay? If she doesn't want to stay, though, wish her well. Give her, uh, you know, the time she needs to gather her things and you know, offer whatever and all this other stuff and, and call it good. And that's really all you can do. 
But if she says, hey, you know, if I'll stay, but maybe under these conditions, be like, let's hear them all out and let's see what we can do to get through this. You know, maybe it's one of those things. So if there is something that can work that, or maybe she, you know, she could just fucking hate your guts. Bet you didn't see that coming now, did you? Um, we are, <laughs> I'm such a stinker. Uh, we're at 43 minutes. We're going to close up shop for this week. Uh, let me get the, I got to get this thing edited and uploaded ASAP. Got a busy week ahead of me. If you have questions, concerns, or comments, you can hit me up on my website, positive sarcasm, uh, com. Hit me up on Instagram or follow me there. If you'd want positive sarcasm, at, uh, on Instagram. Like, subscribe, share, donate, positivesarcasm.com slash donate. Any amounts appreciated. You can follow me on Rumble at Positive Sarcasm. And, of course, email me directly, positivesarcasm at outlook.com. Uh, oh, I wanted to read uh, one little one little thing before we close up shop here today. And I'm literally just going to read this, and I'm going to say goodbye. This is from the Keys to Happiness book, A Reader's Digest Guide to Successful Living. <clears throat> this is from John Patrick's play, the tea house of the August moon. Pain makes man think. Thinking makes man wise. Wisdom makes life endurable. Thank you for listening, watching, and subscribing, and I'll talk to you here next week. Recorded here from the Spare Parts Studio. This has been a Positive Sarcasm presentation.